Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to History Hack. If you didn't know by now, we are the revolution. That means we're sharp, witty, lots of fun, but it also means that we're essentially the peasants in Les Mis huddled round a table in the corner of the bar with no money. If you enjoy the show, please do support us. We have a Patreon account by which you can donate a small monthly sum in appreciation of what you're hearing. Alternatively, we have Ko-fi in which you can just do a one-off donation as a thank you if you particularly enjoy a certain episode. Either way, we massively appreciate all of your support. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to another episode of History Hack. You have me and the fabulous and one and only Kit with you today. Kit, tell us, who have we got on? We are joined by Dr. Alice Vernon. She is a lecturer of creative writing at Aberystwyth University, and she is here to talk to us about her first book, Troubled Sleep and the Stories We Tell About It which looks at the history, cultural impact, and the science of disturbing sleep across the ages. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm actually really looking forward to this because we get to talk about something that we just don't talk about every day, let alone in history. Yeah, absolutely. This is something that 70% of us will experience in our lifetime. Um, you know, these, these strange hallucinatory sleep states and uh, lucid dreams, sleep paralysis. You know, to have 70% of us experience that and we simply don't talk about it enough. Well, it's a really interesting area to look at because, as you say, 70% of people experience it, but everyone experiences it so differently. So what attracted you to look into this subject of the cultural and historical impact of night terrors and interrupted sleep? So this is something that has affected me since I was a child. Um, I used to sleepwalk when I was little. Um, and then as a teenager, I started to hallucinate in my sleep, um, very specifically in my sleep. If I started hallucinating in the daytime, that would be a completely different thing. But I was hallucinating, uh, you know, just as I was waking up in the middle of the night and I would see spiders and people in my room and, and things like that. Uh, and then I did my PhD and they got progressively worse, which is related, perhaps. Um, but I was doing my PhD on insomnia. Because at the time, it was sort of 2015 to 2018. At the time, if you went on The Guardian, there would be an article about insomnia. And so I was doing my PhD on how we represented insomnia throughout history uh, and throughout culture. 
And as I was investigating this, I sort of was paying more attention to my own sleep and wondering for the first time kind of why my sleep was so weird and realizing that these were actual conditions uh, because I was reading all these kind of very scientific books about sleep and I was learning about REM and uh, sleep paralysis and, and all these different types of things. And I was going, oh, hey, I have that. And, oh, I have that. And so that really persuaded me to really investigate my own sleep more. And as I started to do so, I realized just how ingrained some of these sleep disorders are um, in terms of culture and history. We can trace some of these sleep disorders back to things like witchcraft trials and, you know, uh, Greek medicine and things like that. And it's the same sort of things that we experience today, which I find really fascinating is that, you know, the experiences that I have and the experience that 70% of us have, uh, you know, you can find in old case studies and, and old you know, medical textbooks. So that's the background. And you mentioned that you have your own night terrors. Now, Alina and I have also experienced night terrors ourselves. Um, and I, it might be helpful actually just to talk a little bit about it. So I have very odd dreams. I, I, I think most people dream that they are still themselves. I have never dreamt that I am Kit Chapman in any of my dreams. Really? That's fascinating. I have no, yeah, I'm always somebody else. It's very, very strange but I've had night terrors. I have woken up and not been able to move and literally been sort of physically sort of almost trapped in myself in the bed. I had a case once where I was in Las Vegas with uh, a young lady in the sharing a hotel room. And apparently she kept, she went, she was down on the casino floor. I was asleep. Apparently when she came in, I sat bolt upright in bed, turned, looked at her, screamed at her as loudly as I could. And, went wow. straight back to sleep. and I have no memory of this. So night terrors are an old friend. How about you, Alina? I, do you know what? I don't really want to go into too much detail about some of my night terrors because then people will get an idea of my, the inside of my working mind or not so working mind sometimes. But mine have been things from trauma. and because I'm an only child for people that don't know this. And a lot of people don't understand how hard sometimes it can be being an only child you suffer with things obviously not now as an adult but as a child I suffered with things like abandonment and things and that involved my great-grandmother when she died she died when I was six years old so I would have such vivid nightmares of walking out into the garden and she would accuse me of things like that she killed her and it just it was just mind-boggling things and I would wake up I would uh, sleepwalk at some stages as well during these dreams and these are very reoccurring dreams and occasionally in my adult life they actually come back and I only get night terrors when I'm under severe stress um, as well, Alice as you said you were doing your PhD it's severe stress so for me it, it manifests in that way too I also well those who don't know I, I work on very horrific and dark things and my night terrors sometimes appear in my own research so I have been stuck in things like concentration camps and uh, I wake up screaming and crying and these are so vivid that I'm literally being able to touch things it's I just I don't wish this on anybody is the bottom line but Alice what about you what, what are yours manifesting Mine are to do mostly to do with um, sleep paralysis and uh, hallucinations. And I usually hallucinate uh, my one true fear, which is spiders on my bed. Um, and with sleep paralysis, for me, the, the sort of stereotypical episode of sleep paralysis is that obviously you can't move, but your brain then hallucinates a hag or a witch or a monster sitting on your chest. 
for me, it's disembodied hands on my mattress. Uh, I can feel them all around my neck and they're, they're grabbing me and grabbing my ankles. And once I had one where it, I felt like I had been dragged down the mattress and then I woke up properly and I hadn't moved, but I just had this very visceral feeling of hands grabbing my ankles and yanking me down the mattress. It's horrendous. I, I can completely understand that I can't actually sleep without something covering my feet because <laughs> I have this innate fear that something's going to be grabbing me. Um, but we understand that this is psychology. We understand this is hallucination. Obviously, in the ancient world, that vocabulary just didn't exist necessarily. So how did ancient societies first view these conditions? I think probably the best place to start is with a, a Roman philosopher called Macrobius uh, from the 5th century. And he uh, described sleep and sleep disorders in terms of these five specific conditions. So he said there was the, the prophetic vision where you saw the future in your dream, uh, the nightmare. So that was a, an old word actually for sleep paralysis. The, the, the way we use nightmare today just sort of means bad dream, but the word nightmare historically um, is, is related to, to sleep paralysis. You have the nightmare, the ghostly apparition, uh, the enigmatic dream, and we're not quite sure what it means, but we know it tells us something, and the oracular dream as well, that's kind of, you know, shows us a, a vision or gives us information. And it was, I think, particularly the, the prophetic vision and the oracular dream that in sort of Greek and, and Roman sort of classical antiquity, that was the most important um, idea of, of what dreams were, that they were a, a gift from the gods, or they had some sort of divine meaning. Uh, and there was a, a Greek god of medicine called Asclepius, um, and he had shrines, and you would go to Asclepius' shrine if you were ill or you knew somebody who was ill, and you would go there and you would sleep in the hope that Asclepius would give you a dream of how to cure yourself or how to cure, cure your loved one. So it was a kind of a, a form of medical intervention almost to, to have a dream that you know, you would get the, the information you needed to, to, to be well again or to have your family member be well again. I find that very interesting, that whole ideology of the ancient times, because if you look at things like the oracles mm -hmm. and historians looking at it from a modern perspective are saying, you know, they were inhaling drugs or other various different reasons for things happening and how they interpret nightmares for me, is just amazing to what we now know what night terrors truly are and how they manifest. But what about the Middle Ages? So does history look at it slightly differently because you've got the rise of the Catholic Church? Or is this something completely opposite to the ancient period where they looked at it as a gift from the gods to something where people are being demonised and called witches and all sorts of things? Yeah, so from the, the Middle Ages to really sort of the, the Renaissance, it gets really quite messy and conflicted in terms of the different ideas of what was causing some of these strange sleep phenomena. Um, so we still have in obviously the sort of rise of uh, Christianity and, and Catholicism, we have the, um, the idea that dreams can be given from 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 God or from an angel if they're good and if they have some sort of, you know, holy... Uh, ideology or symbolism. What is interesting in particular is that in the Middle Ages, it was believed that the sleeper was not to be blamed for their actions in, in sleep. So I think with the Middle Ages, we perhaps associate that with maybe, you know, demons and, and, and witches. But actually, there was a, a real sort of idea that if you did something 
bad in your sleep, you were not to be blamed for it. And there was a particular reason for this, which is that um, I think particularly high ranking members of the church were worried um, that if they did something uh, a little bit erotic in their sleep uh, or had uh, you know, a wet dream or something in particular, uh, that it was not sinful because they couldn't be blamed for it because it happened in their sleep. So it was a kind of a way of, of getting out of trying to, you know, explain what had happened to them in their sleep. You know, if, if they said it was a, a gift from the gods or if it was something, you know, given by a demon, then that would kind of implicate them morally. So to say that they weren't to be blamed for the fact that they had a, an erotic dream or something, um, you know, it kind of got them out of, of having to explain that. Um, but then we also get, you know, uh, high-ranking members of the church, like St. Albert the, the Great, who was a, a German friar in the 13th century, who believed that uh, dreams were given by angels or, or demons, that they could control a person's sleep. So we have kind of different avenues of, of ideas that they could be given by, by God or that they could be given by demons and witches or that it was just a natural thing uh, so that if you did have an erotic dream, you couldn't be blamed for it and kicked out of the church. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, that's absolutely fascinating that they're sort of trying to look to, at a way to almost excuse their behaviour or to sort of essentially mythologize and, and theologize um, something as simple as, as you know, a erection in the morning or something like that. Um, and moving on to sort of other subjects, we've got the, the books like The Hammer of the Witches, The Malleus Maleficarum. That comes out in the Middle Ages. We have Discovery of Witchcraft. How does this affect the public perception of troubled sleep? Because we talked about the church and how they view it, but this is sort of spreading the information out to the public. And does that manifest in, in the witch hunts, the witch trials that we later see? Well, the discovery of witchcraft is actually really interesting because that was written by Reginald Scott in 1584. And in that, he talks about sleep paralysis or the incubus, uh, which was another name for it. It was that kind of little goblin chap that you see in Henry Fuseli's painting of, of the nightmare, so the, this incubus. And he calls it a bodily disease. And he says it's not to do with witches. It's because you've eaten too much before you went to bed. And it's laying, laying too heavily on your stomach. And that's why you're having sleep paralysis. But he emphasizes that it is a bodily disease. And so that was 1584. And then the Salem witch trials, uh, those, those famous witch trials of dozens of people were, were murdered for, for being accused of, of witchcraft. That was 1692. So that was actually well over 100 years after Reginald Scott had published this treaty saying sleep paralysis is because you've eaten too much. Um, and in the Salem witch trials, you can you can access the court papers online. And in some of those, one there's one particular um, in the the case of Bridget Bishop, who was accused of, of witchcraft. And in those accusations, uh, a man says that she came into his bedroom in the middle of the night and he couldn't move. He was frozen. He couldn't defend himself. And she she grasped him by the throat. And, and was trying to choke him. And he said that was Bridget Bishop. And if you read that 
court transcript, it's sleep paralysis that this man has had, essentially, which I find really fascinating that it was very slow, I suppose, for this idea that sleep paralysis wasn't to do with witchcraft, for this idea to actually uh, you know, be prevalent and be the, the main way of, of thinking about sleep paralysis. You know, it took a while for disordered sleep to shake off those, those supernatural uh, associations. And I think even today, you know, there, there is still that, that association with demons and, and the supernatural and even aliens. Um, but, you know, it, where, at a time when people were genuinely afraid of witchcraft, it took time for those, those beliefs to be dispelled. This is actually probably a good point to bring in because you do discuss the science a little bit in your book. Um, so do we know, does, you know, eating a lot of cheese cause sleep paralysis? Is that, is that a thing? I think probably if you eat too much of something, you're not going to feel very well. And that's probably going to, to affect your sleep. But in terms of the science of sleep paralysis, it's really fascinating. So when we dream, our brain is actually sending messages to our muscles as though to act out what we think we're doing in our dream. So if we dream that we're playing tennis, our brain is sending signals to our muscles to, to move our arms, uh, to hit that ball back to Roger Federer or whoever you're playing tennis with, Mary Berry, I don't know what a dream would, would be like for you. Um, so you're, there are several reasons why that would be really bad, um, and particularly from an evolutionary point. If you're sleeping in a tree or on the side of a cliff or something and you start thrashing around in your sleep, you're going to fall off and die. So the brain actually paralyzes the body and then it can send all the signals it likes to our muscles, but our muscles don't move. So every time we dream, we are actually paralyzed. But for those of us who are lucky enough to have sleep paralysis, uh, we sort of wake up before we're supposed to while our brain is still paralyzing the body. And we're in a weird half awake, half asleep state where we're still dreaming, but we're also awake. And because we can't move and we're still sort of dreaming, our brain thinks up a fun way to explain why we can't move. And sleep paralysis, it feels very heavy on the chest. You know, it's, it's kind of your whole body is paralyzed, but it seems to particularly be focused on, on the chest. And so your brain will, will come up with this idea that something is sitting on you. And so that's where we get this idea of the hag or the witch. You know, some old names for sleep paralysis were things like being hag ridden uh, or my favorite, which was being wizard pressed being pressed by a wizard. I quite like that one. Yeah, so the, there is a, a way that, you know, science explains sleep paralysis, but obviously this hasn't been uh, discovered until we could start to, to map brain waves in the, the mid 20th century. So really there's a, an entire gulf uh, where we've had to try and explain sleep paralysis in a rational way, but while still not really knowing anything about it or, or why it's happening to us. Um, so the, the cheese thing is a myth, but obviously if you're not eating well before you go to bed you're probably going to have an upset stomach and that's going to affect your, your sleep but yes it, it is a natural process we're just waking up before we're supposed to essentially quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature sleep number smart beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's quite interesting that we're looking at the Selim Witz trials, which are end of the 16th, sorry, 17th century. Um, and this is just when the Enlightenment starts to begin as well. And we start getting science actually as, uh, as formalized as science rather than alchemy, things like that. So is that what helps change society's perceptions of what's going on? Is it this um, evolution of social science and, and the ability to actually have scientists or is something else happening? I think in some respects it was to do with, you know, the, the, the um, idea of, of natural philosophy and, and thinking about what happens in the stomach and all those sorts of, you know, weird digestive juices and all the vapors going to the brain and thinking of sleep in very um, physical and physiological terms um, and trying to explain some of these strange phenomena in terms of disordered stomachs and it was all about disordered digestion um sort of between the uh you know really from reginald scott in, in 1584 to uh you know the, the the victorian era really you know even scrooge says when he's in, in a christmas carol um charles dickens a christmas carol scrooge says to these ghosts so oh, you're just a crumb of cheese you know so even in the victorian era it was this idea that you know a, a bad digestion would would cause this but even so, I think there was still an association with the supernatural, um, and particularly in the Victorian era uh, and towards the end of the Victorian era, actually, in uh, the sort of 1880s to 1890s, we get uh, the development of the Society for Psychical Research, who are awesome and they're still going and they're like a kind of scientific ghost hunting club. They're great. Uh, but when they were first developed, one of the first big projects they undertook was something called the Census of Hallucinations, where they asked um, about 17,000 people to respond to a question, which was, you know, have you ever seen something that wasn't really there? And the responses they got back, the majority of them are easily explained as a sleep hallucination or sleep paralysis. And it's really interesting, some of these anecdotes, but what the Society for Psychical Research were really looking for was any sort of anecdote that couldn't be explained because then they could go, ah, well, that was obviously a ghost then. So there was still this idea that, you know, some of these sleep uh, disorders and some of these strange things that had happened to people in the middle of the night could still be explained through supernatural means. So even in the Victorian era, even though we were sort of starting to realize how the, the brain worked and how the the stomach worked properly uh, and all those kinds of things we still get this sense of oh but what if that was a ghost oh you know what if that was a was a witch got to you know really rule all these things out um, so even yeah even in the victorian era the, the science and the supernatural was still uh, sort of fighting for precedence really 
I'm going to say this in front of Kit, and I hope he doesn't ban me from being his friend ever. But however much we say we've progressed in the 21st century, I'm one of these people that still in the back of my mind may think, what if it was a witch? What if it is a ghost? What if everything my eyes are telling me that it's not? My brain's like, no, that is not what it is. But secretly eating it, I'll get the look on Kit's face. I'm so sorry. The look on Kit's face, everyone, is like he's actually going to ban me from being his friend. But the 20th- I am judging you. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. I'm absolutely judging you, but please go on. I'm going to make an idiot of myself. No, I'm not really. So uh, my question is, does this, because we've touched on the Victorian period, but does the early 20th century change anything? I mean, some of us still believe in ghosts, like me. (laughs) And Alice, you were nodding a little bit, so hopefully you still believe in ghosts. Kit doesn't believe in any ghosts. He's a scientist. I mean, I I really do, uh, you know, empathise with you, Alina, because sometimes, even though I've done all this research and I can rationalise it to the tiniest degree uh sometimes I still think oh that could have been a ghost you know I still don't know because it does feel so real and you think how can my brain come up with these kinds of delusions and and vivid hallucinations so I think you you know even now I can rationalize things and go oh that was just my brain naturally paralyzing my body and I woke up before I'm supposed to I still think well it could have could have been a witch or could have been a ghost it, it is, it just, it's just the way that it kind of haunts you in a very sort of heavy way where, you know, you can have all the science in the world, but there's still that experience, that subjective experience, which you just can't pin down and just can't explain. But yeah, so in the, the uh, 20th century, we, uh, we get uh, the development of sleep clinics. We discover uh, REM and Nathaniel Kleitman is, is doing all this work in terms of looking at brain waves and uh, figuring out what happens to our brain when, when we dream. And so I think to some extent, sleep became very clinical and we were trying to sort of explain away all the, the ghosts and things like that. But interestingly, um, what I noticed when I was doing all this research is that it seems to be that the, the cultural iconography of the era reflects the kinds of things that we have nightmares about And so as you get towards the end of the 20th century into the the 21st century, suddenly you get these anecdotes of people that think they have been abducted by aliens. But actually what they're describing is the exact same symptoms of sleep paralysis in the same way that people were were describing when they were accusing people of witchcraft in the the 1690s. Um, Because there's a part of sleep paralysis where when it ends, you feel this really bizarre weightlessness. So you've been weighed down for ages and then suddenly it feels like you've been lifted up. I had a really weird uh, episode the other week where I really felt this feeling of weightlessness and I thought I was stuck to the ceiling. I genuinely thought, I was, how am I going to get down from the ceiling? And then I woke up and I was back in my bed. So that feeling of, of weightlessness seems to be what we're focusing on in terms of modern anecdotes because it feels like you know you're being beamed up or or beamed back down from a an alien spaceship so I think even though we have all this this science now to explain sleep disorders the cultural iconography of you know aliens and that kind of thing which obviously wasn't present in the, the Victorian era that seems to be what is sort of infiltrating people's sleep and particularly sleep paralysis as well you know if you look at these anecdotes of alien abduction 
you think, well, that could have, that could have been sleep paralysis, especially when it happens in the bedroom. You know, it really does feel like it, it could be sleep paralysis. It's fascinating the sort of cultural history of that, of we move from witches to ghosts to aliens. It kind of makes you wonder what's going to be next. Do we think people are going to be uploaded into the matrix, all that kind of stuff? Oh, I always point out to my friends that it's, it's funny how all incidents of alien abduction and ghost appearances vanished with the introduction of mobile phones and cameras. Let's move on to the treatment, because you briefly touched on this earlier when you were talking about what we introduced in the 20th century. Um, treatment, people have always been looking to solve this problem. They've been trying to describe it. So how have treatment of night terrors evolved over time? Have they become less mystical and magical and more science based? And what's the current treatment today? Yeah, so I think when, um, to, to start with, early treatments of these disorders were aligned with the, those supernatural beliefs. So people thought that um, horses were being possessed by witches. And this is where we get the mare half of nightmare from. It comes from this idea of a possessed horse coming and trampling on you. And so people would hang things in stables, little um, rocks that had been eroded with have a hole in the middle, they would ho- uh, hang those up. Also bellum knights, which are fossilized squid bits, uh, they call them thunderstones and they thought that they somehow um, would protect you from, from witchcraft and, and having, uh, you know, having the, the incubus and, and having sleep paralysis. So it was all to do with these sorts of folkloric uh, stones, really. People were using stones and minerals and things like coral um, was believed to, to help with these sorts of attacks in, in sleep. And then we move into uh, the, the feeling that sleep disorders were all to do with digestion. Uh, and so they would cure it in the good old fashion of purging and making you take laxatives and making you throw up everything that you'd eaten. And that was how you could have a really good night's sleep. Uh, and so, yeah, as, as we thought that um, sleep disorders were to do with poor digestion, the treatments were all to do with um, laxatives and, and uh, emetics, things to, to purge you essentially. Um, um, I've got I've got a question. I don't know if this is a side question, but I, I maybe you can help. I was once touched. Do you know the story about uh, how Kellogg's cornflakes were made? I think I do. You do. <laughs> so I, I've heard a story that Kellogg's cornflakes were invented to help digestion, as you were saying, but also because the uh, Mr. Kellogg wanted people to stop masturbating, <laughs> and he believed that, uh, that Kellogg's cornflakes and giving them a good digestion and a good night's sleep would prevent them trying to play with themselves. Is that something you've come across? And there's a side note, but it's just kind of a weird one. I've heard it, but that's not something <laughs> I uh, decided to explore in detail. I'll have to dig into that a little bit more. Anyway, please continue. Kellogg's masturbation and dreams. I didn't think yeah, I'd hear those three words in a sentence. <laughs> yeah, Alina is is kind of stunned. I have come across it. I mean, I'm a science historian, so this is kind of my, my area. <laughs> of interest and I have come across it but um, I will delve a little bit further into this for, for other for future podcasts and apologies for derailing your conversation anyway so cures involving health and food and trying to get a decent hearty food to make sure that you're actually getting through the night yeah and then as we kind of progress into the Victorian era we get the sort of advent of pharmaceuticals and uh, quack cures and things like that and I found um a particular cure called, I think, is it uh, the, the blue pill? And if you took the, the blue pill, 
you would, uh, you know, it would help with uh, sleep disorders, night terrors, hallucinations, sleepwalking, all that kind of thing. But the blue pill actually contained mercury, which causes hallucinations and delusions and all sorts of terrible things. So don't yes, take that. no, do not take mercury. Um, take mercury. I'm kind of fascinated by, I mean, by, again, by the imagery, because this ties into the matrix, the red pill, the blue pill, and, and sort of that, that, that concept. So it's interesting how the language has moved on and is still with us. Yeah, definitely. The Some of the terms that we use today actually came from the, the Victorian era. So the Society for Psychical Re- Research that I was talking about earlier, one of the key members, uh, Frederick Myers, came up with the term hypnopompic hallucination, which is when we wake up, but our brain is still dreaming and we hallucinate spiders or people in our bedroom or that kind of thing. And he came up with that term and it's still used in you know, medical science today, which I think is really fascinating. And I think you would be quite thrilled to know that I think uh yeah so I find the next question really interesting because we're talking about night terrors and we're going to be talking about literature I mean explain to us how night terrors have impacted literature for example Dracula yeah well that's quite a good segue actually because um Bram Stoker author of of Dracula was very good friends with Frederick Myers uh and Dracula came out pretty much just after they published their um, results for this census of hallucinations. So the census went on for five years between um, 1889 and 1894. And Dracula came out a couple of years after that. And Bram Stoker used to have breakfast with Frederick Myers. Uh, and obviously, you know, knew about the society, probably knew about the census of hallucinations. And if you read Dracula from the perspective of thinking about sleep disorders, thinking about sleep paralysis, uh, sleepwalking, night terrors, sleep talking, all those things, it kind of feels as though Dracula is just one big sleep disorder embodied in a vampire. So as Dracula begins, we see Lucy Westenra uh, sleepwalking across the the coast of, of Whitby. And then when Mina Harker starts to be attacked by Dracula, he seems to attack her sleep in particular. She's obsessed with her sleep in Dracula. She's always talking about her sleep. Um, I think she says, tonight I shall strive hard to sleep naturally, um, which for me is an impossible task, um, but I like her optimism. Uh, And so he comes and and when he attacks her and there's that famous scene where, um, you know, he's he's, he's bitten her and and she's drinking from him. Uh, there's, There's a moment where, she describes it as a leaden lethargy that's chaining her limbs. And it sounds like sleep paralysis. So the way that Dracula attacks people seems to be through troubled sleep, which I find absolutely fascinating. If you read Dracula, there are so many instances of disordered sleep. And the fact that this came out just after the census, where so many of those anecdotes are about people having sleep paralysis or seeing things um, in their sleep, seeing weird things in their, their bedrooms, thinking that, um, you know, their relative who lives on the other side of the world has visited them in their bedroom. I really do think that Bram Stoker possibly was influenced by the work of the Society for Psychical Research and maybe even the, the census of hallucination. So I think Dracula is a key text in terms of just how much of an influence these disorders can have in terms of of literature and it's not just literature as well I mean there are other forms of art that have been very clearly influenced by night terrors Um, I mean in your book you write about uh, Fuseli's The Nightmare as an example was there 
there a movement or a, a particular genre of depictions of night terror ever in art? I don't think there's been a particular movement, but I think, uh, you know, as I said before, I think every sort of era has its own iconography and that is what is represented in art. So, you know, with Fuseli, it was uh, the idea of uh, sort of demons and, and the supernatural and, and those kinds of things. Whereas today we seem to be very fixated on the lucid dream, which is a kind of sleep disorder essentially, but it's when you are dreaming and you realize that you're dreaming and to some extent you can control that dream. And so we get things like Christopher Nolan's Inception, um, but also there's a really good anime film uh, called Paprika, which is pretty much where I think Inception got, got the idea from. Um, but it does seem to be that it's not so much a movement, but it's a reflection of the, the sort of cultural ideas of what causes parasomnias, these, these sleep disorders. Well, it's fantastic that it's been influencing art. And I always find it fascinating how much science has gone into just understanding something as simple as dreaming. Um, and we still have these mysteries to this day. Nobel Prizes have gone into things like circadian rhythm in medicine and, uh, and understanding how that works. We've looked at melatonin and how our bodies actually just try and function. But ultimately, we still have no real answers um, for many of the causes potentially of night terrors and potentially the cures as well. Um, there just seems to be something going on deep within us that's kind of fascinating and interesting. Alice, thank you so much for uh, opening up our world and exploring some of the history of night terrors. Um, the book sounds absolutely fantastic. Please can you tell people where they can get it and where they can find out more about your work? So it's called Night Terrors, Troubled Sleep and the Stories We Tell About It. It's published by Icon Books and you can find it in all good bookstores. Uh, and yes, I uh, teach uh, creative writing at Aberystwyth University, uh, so you can always contact me via my university email address if you want to tell me about your weird dreams. I always like that. Our incredible guests give us 45 minutes of their time to join us and talk about their work or their new book. This is just a small taster. As a result, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest books you can support them and you can support us on History Hack. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep going and bring you more top-of-the-line guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash History Hack or search for us in the shop section. Thank you so much for your continued support. We really appreciate our listeners and supporters. So make sure you get down to the bookshop and grab yourselves a new book. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 